0: Great time of worship, good to be able to just lift up the name of the Lord and uh, make much of Him, and all of God's people said, man, a huge opportunity to celebrate Him, love that, and uh, man, we're in a series here, we're in a series called Satisfied, we're walking through the end of the book of 2 Corinthians, and uh, we're just learning how it is that we can be satisfied no matter what's going on no matter what circumstances are taking place, no matter what pressures are coming in, no matter who's standing against me, I can take a joy in my God and find a satisfaction in Him. How do I go about doing that? And then each week, we've been looking at a piece of that. And uh, today, we're looking at honest and humble living. Honest and humble living. Truly being able to stand before our God and live for him and tell him, Lord, this has been wrong in my life. It needs to go. This is sin. Will you please take it over? And, and being able to share that even with others, being real and true. And we're going to see a lot of that today, the honest and truthful portions. And uh, Lord, help us to live honestly and humbly, all right? So as we do that, let's turn to Second Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 12. Second Corinthians 11, starting in verse 12. First point here, live with full transparency and honesty, not in disguise. No hiding it, full transparency. And let's not fake that we have it all together and let's not fake that uh, we know exactly what we're doing. There's times along the way where God's shaping us and changing us and every one of us is on that journey. Every single one of us has changes in our lives that need to happen. If you're sitting here and you're like, Well, I don't know, man. I don't. Uh, Just ask the guy next to you. He'll help you out with that, right? It's pretty clear we all have stuff we need to work on. And uh, so let's be super transparent with our God. Let's lay that out before him. Let's not fake that we have it all together. Let's make sure we let him do the work in us. And all of God's people said, okay, God doing the work in us, that's what it's all about. So 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 12, he says, And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. uh, Let's just stop and we'll work through that sentence real carefully. He's like, and what I am doing, I will continue to do. And uh, this is a tieback, a real simple tieback to the passage right before it, a couple of verses right before where he's saying, hey, I want you to know, that there was ministry going on and I didn't come into your world and say, start paying for me, start covering my needs as I help teach you. That would have been a very regular, normal thing then is that as an apostle came into a community to help plant a church, that that community would help pay for and cover things. But in fact, Paul, through some discernment, decided, nope, I feel like God's saying no to that. We're gonna have some outside support instead of, and we're just gonna care for you guys. It's all give, right? And he's like, that's the plan. That's where we're headed. He says, and what I am doing, I will continue to do. I'm going to keep on working that way with the Corinthian church. It's not going to be on the take. It's going to be strictly on the give. Why? In order to undermine, just so you know that word in the original language, it means literally to cut out. I'm literally looking to cut out the argument or the claim in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. There's these guys, remember the super apostles, remember that from last week, he talked about these guys who were falsely claiming who they were, in fact even claiming authority over Paul the apostle, so they must be super apostles right and he's like just so we're clear those guys are claiming to have the same task we do the same approach we do the same ministry that we do but they're making it all about themselves and so here's the deal man we're gonna undercut that we're gonna take that argument out how because we're serving and we're not asking for anything in return that's how We're going after it very clearly and very simply. We long for God to be glorified and we're not on the take. Just so we're clear, that means that the other guys were, okay? And he's like, I'm telling you, it's going to become really obvious who's actually following after God if you watch this subtle little detail of who's getting something out of it, okay? And uh, they're on the take. And I'm undercutting their claim that they're doing the same thing as we are. He says, for such men are false prophets, false apostles. Like this word apostle, it means one who would establish a church. It was somebody sent. That's what it means. One sent, right? But falsely claiming that. They're like, they're not really sent by God. They're claiming to be from God. They're claiming to be working on his behalf. They end up twisting it all up. Their goal is to get it to be wrapped around themselves. They're actually looking to destroy the church at one level and just turn it into a great big me-fest. They're false apostles. And uh, deceitful workmen, the work they're doing was not to draw attention to God, although that's what they said it was about. Deceitful workmen, the work they were doing, well, they were lying about what it was about and they were really about something very other disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Okay, now we're starting to get a really clear statement about Paul's view of these guys. He's using the term false apostle or super apostle. Now he's saying they're disguising themselves. They're masquerading, literally they're clothing or changing the exterior to make it look like. That's what's going on here. They're making it look like on the outside that they are apostles, but in fact, they are not. It says, and no wonder, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, right? And so Satan, just so we're super clear, let's go back, get a little history here. Satan actually was an angel. God created Satan. He had a responsibility as an angel who had not yet fallen. He had a responsibility for protecting the glory of God. Satan, actually this glorious, beautiful angel, very lofty position. And in fact, think about it. If his job was to protect the glory of God, and then he comes out with this battle cry, I will be like the most high. In fact, what he did is take his very job description, flip it upside down, and make it all about himself, and that was his sin as he now peels everything away and makes it all about him, but he is an angel, fallen as he is, okay, and so it says here that he clothes himself, he disguises himself as an angel of light. In other words, he's not changing what he is, he is an angel, but he's changing a little bit of the exterior every once in a while to make it look like. Everybody just say, to make it look like. like. All right? And that's a really big problem. When our battle cry becomes, to make it look like. We have to really watch out for that approach, for that habit. And uh, Satan disguising himself to make it look like he's an angel of light. Moments where he could end up presenting himself in a certain way that for a moment would make you think a certain thing about him. Wouldn't last for long, because in the end, right, the heart ends up revealing out through actions, through words, all the rest. But he was able to clothe for a moment and fake for a moment, being an angel of light. He's like, no wonder, for Satan even disguised himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise, ready, if his servants Talking about those guys that have walked into the church, these super apostles, these fake apostles, Paul has just now called them Satan's servants. We're getting some really strong understanding of who these guys are, okay? These aren't some misdirected guys who walked in, and they're really nice. They're saved. They're trying. They just got it a little off one day, okay? Everybody say, not that. Okay, these are guys who walked in, and they're like, enough of this. We're going to tear this thing down. And they're motivated by Satan from underneath. And the whole goal is tear the church down. And while Jesus Christ says, I will build my church, Satan says, and I will try to destroy your church. And these guys are a part of that game. These guys are coming in with the goal of destruction. And Paul's like, they are servants of Satan. They disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. They disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. This word disguise, it literally means to masquerade. It literally means to change the outside so that it looks like. In fact, we're going to go into two Greek words real quickly here just so you get the difference, okay? And so he's talking about this deal going on with these guys masquerading, and it's metaskamata is the word in the Greek, metaskamata, to change the outside, or to change the structure of. You're not changing the type of or the kind of, but you're changing the structure of. metaschemata that's this word disguise, okay? But God's on a whole different plan. God doesn't work that way. God doesn't do some kind of making it look like game plan. In fact, he comes inside and he changes us one degree of glory at a time. In fact, the word is metamorphoso right? Do you hear the word in it? Metamorphosis, right? It's changing us from one type into another. Like when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, there's this complete changing over. That's God work. God's doing a metamorphosis. These guys are doing metaschemata. That's Paul's statement. He's like, I want to make this super clear, man. God is about changing from the heart, changing the inside and having it just spill out. These guys They're putting on different clothes and calling it done. They're trying to make it look like. They're just changing the outside, and that's not the plan. Everybody say, that's not the plan. It isn't the plan. And that's true even today in our church. That's true for us right here. Uh, That's true as families. Man, if you're a parent, hear me, your goal should not be metaschemata. Just get it to look like. Your goal should be metamorphoso. God, may you change the heart of this little one whom I'm loving and caring for. Parents, hear me on this, this is a super big deal. When we're getting into behavior modification and all we want them to do is stop doing what's annoying you, right? Come on, we all know it's happening. As a parent, there's a moment where you're like, that's it, that's enough. Why? Because it's freaking me out, right? It has nothing to do with the good or bad of it. It's just like, it has to be done. You're annoying me with that, whatever it is. Maybe it even does get as bad as that's it. It's really bad stuff. This has to stop. But what we start to do is we say, don't. We're giving rules and we're trying to challenge them and we're asking them to shape the outside. But in fact, one of the good questions to be asking is why would they even want to be doing that? What's the why behind it? What's the heart underneath it? Getting to the heart of the matter and having God be able to transform the heart. Parents hear me, that is such the goal. Make sure you're getting to the heart of what's going on inside. God can start to do a work and metamorphoso can take place as God's doing some shaping and out of the abundance of the heart then, the mouth speaks and the hands move. That's the plan. Not metaschemata. Not metaschemata metamorphoso. May we lead our homes. May we lead our church. May we lead ourselves in a way where it's all about God changing my heart and all of God's people said. And I'll just say this, parents, if you're looking for a great book out there to read, if you've got the younger kids kind of 10 and under, uh, Shepherding a Child's Heart, phenomenal book to get after it. And uh, maybe you've got a little bit older kids. They're like junior high age or even high school age and age of opportunity really gets after the heart of, the why of, the what's going on, being able to parent to the why, to the heart, so important. These guys were all about the exteriors and that's it. And Paul's like, that is not the game that God is on. God is transforming us, metamorphoso, one degree of glory at a time. And all of God's people said. And that's our hope. Is literally, we're walking into this world. Please hear me. Maybe you're walking into this church today and you didn't even know it. You're walking in here and you're like, my goal is to try to stop doing this and start doing this. That's my goal. I'm just gonna make myself do it. I'm just telling you that's trying to clothe the outside when all we do is force the behavior. What is the heart motive? What is God working on? What sin do I need to let go of? God, where do I need to see you and your glory all the more? And as I worship you in that area, it literally starts changing my soul. And now that work that I was so targeting that wasn't happening just happens because it pours out of me. May we go after that. True transformation. These guys were disguisers, just changing the outside to make it look like. He says, the end will correspond to their deeds. See, they might have been able to dress it up for just a moment in time, but it would bleed out all over the place. And they were, they were being very destructive to the church, to individuals. And, and in the end, these people serving Satan and destroying the church and standing against Christ and stealing glory, it wasn't going to go well for them. And he's talking about, yes, some physical suffering that may happen here on earth, but more than that, he's talking about eternal here. He's talking about hell as you stand against Jesus Christ and you make it all about yourself, man, that is not a good place to stand. And he's like, I'm just telling you, it's a bad moment for him. And may we live transparently. Lord, I know I'm not perfect and I know I've got a long way to go. Lord, please forgive me for this attitude. Please forgive me for this action. God, help me to learn to worship you. I can't wait to see you transform me. And that is a hope that we have. And if you were raised in a church where they beat down and pressed in that you had to make it look like, here's my request. Learn to begin to set that down. It's from the pit of hell. God is doing a work within as you worship him. And that is hope. And all of God's people said, all right? Okay. So a little illustration. This past week has been the Winter Olympics. I love watching the Olympics. I don't know about you guys. Some people love the Olympics. Other people can't stand it. It gets in the way of whatever shows they were normally watching. and and. Uh, We don't really watch a whole lot of TV around the house, so the Olympics just give that opportunity for rallying these nations together and really being able to cheer for people that are going after it, huge, right? And uh, just super exciting to be able to see them try to take on the challenge of whatever sport they're in. And and then you get to see it when it comes down to the wire and you see that, that moment of victory where someone is winning the gold and knocking it out of the park and you get to cheer with them, celebrate with them. I don't know about you, but there's times where I'm like getting vocal about it. I'm like, yeah, man. I'm telling you, I am not about ice skating. (laughs) But this last week I was like, yes. There was a moment where there was this one. I'm just going to unveil it all. All right, here we go this pairs thing going on and this dude who was skating with and he's this huge guy. And there's kind of a new movement in the skating thing where the guys are getting bigger and stronger and they're, they're chucking these girls as they're spinning around. And I made my wife watch it, I'm like, look at this. And uh, so we watched this thing through, and, but it was really cool to see this couple come through and dominate and win. And just awesome to see that stuff go on. And you know, as the different uh, people were winning I don't know if you've noticed this this year, but after they won, they do a quick ceremony right after the competition and they give them a stuffed animal. Have you seen that? Let's just throw an image up here. For those of you who haven't been watching the Olympics, this is for real, dude. They give them a stuffed animal. I'm like, no! (laughs) You've ruined the whole thing. How do you hold up a teddy bear and go... (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. And I was like really upset. Then I, so I started reading about it. And it turns out it's not a teddy bear. It's actually a tiger. And in Korea, these things represent something about good luck and good favor and I don't know what. But they give them these tigers. They actually do, just rest assured, in the evening they do the medal ceremony and they end up getting the gold silver or bronze. They don't have to go home with a little teddy bear or tiger thing, right? This is just a nice moment. In fact, it was to replace flowers. If you remember, they used to give flowers before, and so now they give tigers, okay? So if you look at that on the right-hand side, that tiger there, I did the up close because people were starting to get all enamored with this. So they actually got on the internet and started ordering them by the tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands. And the price started skyrocketing. And people were paying, these things used to be 10, 15 bucks, and people were paying like 50, 75, 100, $150 to try to get their little Olympic tiger to be sent to them. And there's all over the place. In fact, they had to start getting them ahead and and stockpiling them at the Olympics so that they'd have some because they were getting sold out all over. And and they're like, get them and hold them, right? And these people back in the United States or wherever else are like, I got my Olympic tiger. And they're holding it up and they're like, can you see? And just so we're super clear, just because they're holding up their Olympic tiger with a smile does not mean that they just won gold in some competition, right? And uh, Paul's like, I'm just telling you as we're talking about these uh, fake apostles, they're holding up their little tiger, that they bought on the internet. This is fake, man. They're just making it look like. But I'm telling you, they have not fought the good fight. They are not running the race. These are not the victors. Do not look to them. Look to the ones who are actually saved and making much of Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, that's what it's all about, man. Let's make sure that we're not just dressing up the outside. Let's make sure we're letting God do a deep work on our soul, that we're truly running the race with him and he is changing us. Live honestly, live transparently that God might get all the glory, okay? All right, that's point number one. Point number two. Seek only to make a point through sarcasm sparingly and reluctantly. Did you ever think that that would be a point in an outline? And uh, I'm just telling you, as we break down some of what Paul was going through, I just thought it was really important that we talk this through and we understand and we put a little bit of measuredness to it, okay? Seek only to make a point through sarcasm sparingly and Reluctantly, you're going to hear Paul as we walk through this section explaining why this really shouldn't normally be, but you're going to hear that a lot, sparingly and reluctantly, carefully on the timing of when we would come out with that firm, maybe even sarcastic challenge, okay? He says here, I repeat, let no one think me foolish. Now, this is tying back to verse 1. If you go back to chapter 11, verse 1, it says, I wish you would bear with me in a little, in a little foolishness. Right? He's like, hang on. This is going to sound foolish. And, and, and I'm going to get into talking about myself here. And I know that normally when a guy brags about himself, we just call that foolish and we move on. And you're going to hear me explaining a little bit of myself in this passage. Hang on. Chapter 11 really rolls out some statements from Paul defending Paul, okay? And that's the foolishness he's talking about. There's going to be some some bragging going on, if you will, some sharing of self in order to defend. And Paul's like, hang on, get ready. And so he's setting it up in verse 1, then he gets off on a little bit of a moment as Paul describes the setup of why he's doing it. Now he gets back to it in verse 16. I repeat, let no one think me foolish. He's like, let's revisit what we were in this chapter for. And so, get ready. There's some things I'm going to share here about myself in order to make clear what is going on. I've stayed quiet for a long time, and it's time to get a few things clear. He says, but even if you do see me foolish, he's like, and some of you aren't going to listen to the suggestion I just gave, right? I asked you not to think me foolish, but even if you do, like some of you aren't going to listen, and you're going to be like, he started talking about himself. I find that to be foolishness. He's like, Well, then accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. He's like, so just so we're clear, the super apostles you've been listening to have been boasting about themselves, and you let that go on for quite a bit, and you've allowed them to even attack into me and the work that God is doing through me, so hang on. As I share a little bit about me, please don't see me foolish, and if you do bend that to you're talking about yourself, man, just know you allowed them to, now you're going to need to allow me to. Hang on. Okay, does that make sense? Everybody get where we're going? I'm looking for a lot of eye contact on this one. (laughs) We all good on that? That's what's going on. He's like, let's make sure we understand this. It's really not a regular habit to go out talking about yourself and bragging on yourself. But I want to get this super clear. That's what's going on in your churches. These guys are decimating the church. And it's time to get a few things understood. Okay, that's what's happening. All right, here we go. He says, uh, do accept me me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Okay? And he says, what I'm saying here, I'm not saying as the Lord would. Now, I'm just going to tell you there's a lot of confusion on this. And uh, there's two real big positions out there, and I'm going to tell you where I stand on it pretty clearly, all right? So, one party says, See, he says he's saying this isn't even what the Lord would do. This isn't even what Jesus would be about. So, the next words out must not be inspired scripture. This is Paul, sin or not sin, it's just Paul. It's uninspired, right? This is just Paul recording him. He's finally had enough, he's going off on a rant right? And and that's what this is recorded as. And uh, that's one position. Some say that because it says not as Jesus would, all right? All right. Here's my position. I don't take that position at all. And uh, I think a very traditional position, first of all, is where I'm at. This isn't a very bizarre position. It's well-respected and accepted. But this is inspired Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed, right? 1 Timothy 3. This is inspired. Notice it says this is not as the lord would do this is not as jesus would do okay but what it does not say is this is not words from the holy spirit inspired it doesn't say that everybody say it doesn't say that right he's talking about jesus here not the holy spirit and inspiration comes from the holy spirit first peter Okay, And so the inspiration of Scripture is Holy Spirit breathing into man. He's not saying, this isn't the Holy Spirit working to me. He's saying, I'm not doing as Jesus would do. So what is he talking about? Everybody remember that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit each have roles to play. Okay, And God the Father, he's got his will over it all. He stands over it all. God the Son, his role is sacrificial lamb. He comes into this world to go to the cross. Jesus Christ, he comes to give. He comes in order to die for us and to rise for us that we might have life. Praise God for that. Amen? Amen. Jesus Christ, he comes in to go to the cross and die. So Jesus, when reviled, does not revile back again. When spoken against, he doesn't stop at some point and go, hey, I am Jesus Christ, the God of the universe. I spoke you into existence, you ding dong. What are you doing? Like, Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, he goes very humble. He takes the hit and he goes to the cross because his role was to be our lamb. Praise be to God. Amen? We have hope because of Jesus Christ. But hear me. That does not mean that God the Father or God the Holy Spirit does not take that seriously. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, speaking in on what needs to change, right? And God the Father, well, he goes after things very clearly. In fact, what we see Paul doing here, very much modeled by God the Father, Job chapter 38. And uh, so I just wrote these words. I copy these words down from Job 38. Ready? It says, this is God talking to Job after Job has said words like, you're wrong, God. You're unfair, God. This is ridiculous, God. Why did you do this to me after what I've done? You should have, right, a lot of accusation. And God the Father, in chapter 38, everybody say that's a lot of chapters in. So God's taking it for a long time and fielding it, but then he finally does address the fool according to his folly. And God says, Job 38, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? You hearing that? You don't know what you're talking about, Job. Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. This is Job 38, God the Father talking with Job. Are you hearing it? He was dealing with, he was bringing him along, he was helping him out, and it was starting to get too far down the path of sinful rebellion selfishness, braggart, like I got my act together. Why did you wrong me? And God steps in and he says, listen, here's my resume. I spoke the universe into existence. I know every measurement and where it stands. Do you grasp what I know? Job 38 and 39, what a segment for grasping the greatness and the sovereignty of God. And at the end of that, Job's like, Understood, right? Got it. And God the Father addressing the fool according to his folly. Sometimes, sometimes, okay? Measured when he does it. Notice that he says, look, I'm not doing this as Jesus would. He's like, I'm not standing up because Jesus was the sacrificial lamb. I'm not standing up like Jesus. But I'll tell you, I think rightly to understand here is, but I am standing up like the Father would. That is to be understood here. Inspiration from Scripture overall, standing up as God overall would. He says, uh, since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. Now he gets ready to go into this foolishness talk, right? So let's just talk about that for a moment. Um, Proverbs 26, verses four and five. Proverbs 26, verses four and five. What is Paul doing here? I think it's really important that we grasp that this is what Paul's doing. For a long time, he's putting up with and he is not addressing the fool according to his folly. And when it's having a massive impact and it's finally time, he's short, just in a short speech for a quick moment, timely in fashion, addresses the fool according to his folly. And then he's gonna go back to not addressing the fool according to his folly. All right? That's what we have going on. So let's just read Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. Ready? For those of you who know this, you know where I'm going. But uh, if you don't, listen well here. It says, answer not a fool according to his folly. Hearing that? Don't answer a fool. Well, that would say that Paul shouldn't have said anything. It says, lest you be like him yourself. Be careful. The more you start addressing a braggart by bragging about yourself or correcting the proper view of you, the more you will be dragged into the sin of pride. Be careful. If you address the fool according to his folly on a regular basis, you will go down. That's what he's saying. So hold back. Don't let your pride get the better of you. Verse five. Answer a fool according to his folly. Exactly the opposite now, right? Answer the fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Answer the fool according to his folly, otherwise, the fool is going to keep on running his mouth thinking he's got it all there because everybody's being quiet and he's got the stage. Right? Now, notice. He gives two opposites. Don't answer the fool according to the folly. Then he says, answer the fool according to his folly. Do these passages contradict? Answer no, because look at why. Don't answer, otherwise your pride will get the better of you. Do answer, otherwise they will begin to be wise in their own eyes. One is about its effect on you. The other is about its effect on them, okay? And so for the most part, We need to ride in the path of don't answer the fool according to his folly or our pride will be our undoing. That's where we typically reside, okay? Everybody say, I get that, okay? Don't answer the fool according to his folly typically, but every once in a while, it's essential. Step in and make it clear. Back your God, answer the fool according to his folly, timely and in the moment, and then you're done for their good. Please hear me, you are never addressing the fool because it'll make you feel better. Everybody say, not to make me feel better. Not to make me feel better. better. In order to get things clear with them, right, as Proverbs 26.5 says, that they might not see themselves wise, that they might begin to get it, that the person claiming it or those around them getting dragged in by it might understand. And there's always a little bit of a decision-making of when do I step in? But I'm telling you, if it's early in the game, you're probably too early. Be cautious, don't jump in fast just to defend self. And Paul's been writing this out for a long period of time. He has not addressed the fool according to his folly. And now he's going to address the fool according to his folly, okay? It's really important we understand what's going on in this passage, because if you read it fast, it could be easy to get confused. And that's what he's saying. He's just like, now it's time to step up. He says, "Um, all right, since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. And we're just going to touch on it. The rest of it, I want to talk about next week, what the actual boasting is. I'm just going to touch on it for a second there. Um, So if you jump down to the next paragraph, you see a little bit of it. He says, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are you hearing it? He's bringing the resume. They're attacking me. Come on, man, look at what's true. One thing I want to make very clear here, everything that Paul is sharing, everything that Paul is saying is true. Everybody say it's true. true. So we have to be really careful on this, right? This isn't he's faking it, he's lying, he's twisting. What he's saying is true. He's like, get ready, I'm going to share in a little foolishness as I have to share resume to calm things down. And get the guy who thinks he's wise in his own eyes to back down a little bit and help you see what's going on. That's the setup here, okay? He says, for you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. And uh, just so you know, this is a little bit of a cheap shot moment. He's like, you call yourself wise, but in fact, what you're actually doing is just letting ridiculous nonsense be spoken. And a uh, tolerance is not wisdom, and uh, I just wrote this, tolerance to foolishness is not wisdom, measured confrontation is, tolerance to foolishness is not wisdom, measured confrontation is, measured confrontation is, most of the time having nothing to say, but every once in a while realizing when you need to stand up and say it. Man, hear me, we are walking in a world that loves to celebrate tolerance. And tolerance is viewed as wisdom. Tolerance is viewed as love. Tolerance is viewed as everything brilliant, open-mindedness. But God is super crystal clear on this. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we stand with him. Open tolerance does not get it done. Lovingly, gently, hearing where somebody is at and sharing back in with love and patience. I get that, man. Go after that with all you've got. But when someone starts to tear down Jesus Christ, we are not sitting there trying to be understanding and tolerant. Take your stand. Jesus Christ, He can do anything. He is God of the universe. He speaks and this world exists. By his presence we are sustained. He is Savior, Redeemer, and Lord. I will stand with my king. And all of God's people said, tolerance. Amen. Tolerance. Well, tolerance is not wisdom. Measured confrontation is, okay? So Paul's getting it super clear. You guys felt yourself wise, but in fact... You were letting the ridiculousness go on. He says, for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. Do you realize how abusive it was getting in that church? And uh, the mistreatment that goes on. uh, You may be in a relationship like this right now where foolishness is what they're about, and they lean on abusiveness in order to move you. And uh, I just wrote these words down, what the fool lacks in charismatic wisdom, he makes up for in abusive force. What the fool lacks in charismatic wisdom, he makes up for in abusive force. Pushing down on, making you feel something about yourself, trying to shame you, trying to move you, trying to hurt you, pressing you in a way that makes you feel bad about you. And that's really a dangerous spot. And if you're in this spot where they're saying untrue things that are making you feel bad about you, man, that's what we're talking about. It's one thing if we're like, we're sinners and we need a savior. Wow, you're making me feel bad about me. Well, when we have to recognize the truth about our need, that's one thing, right? But when things get pressed in in an abusive manner to hurt us and make us feel ready, the word is hopeless. It's all on me and I can't get it done. I guess I need you. The fool is trying to get you to lean on them, not on their God, okay? The fool is trying to get you to lean on them, not on their God. And this is a huge deal, man, for us to be directed towards Jesus Christ and make it all about Jesus Christ. That's where we have to go. We need the Savior. He is our King. These guys were being abused. They were being mistreated. They were being pushed on. Paul then says, with a little taste of sarcasm here, which is why the point says what it says, a little taste of sarcasm. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for this. See, the statement is, these guys are so strong, these super apostles. They're so forceful. And yeah, well, they've been abusing you. Paul's like, I guess I was so weak. Notice my hands. I guess I was so weak that I just couldn't abuse you. Do you hear the sarcasm? He's like, hey, man, that forcefulness is not acceptable. May God get all the glory and my weakness will be my strength. I am not gonna hurt you to get something done. I'm gonna point to Jesus Christ and his greatness and long for him to be worshiped. And all of God's people said, Amen. And be super measured in what you go after as you talk with another. The most, the majority of the time, do not answer a fool according to his folly, right? You're not trying to get in and confront every single thing you've ever heard that was ever said wrong in the whole world ever. Are you that guy? Whenever you hear anything ever said wrong, you're like, I got to speak to that. If you're that guy, there's some of you are in the room. Some of you are like, who would do that? And I, the guy next to you, just so you know, <laughs> right? And I'm just telling you, some people do want to get after it all the time. And, and man, be careful, back that down, okay? Make sure you're measured on that. Be wise, otherwise your pride will be your undoing. On the other side, If you're the one who's like, I would never do that. I would never confront. There is a time to have measured confrontation and step in. There is a time to do that. And you'll need to learn to be able to step in with the love of God and the truth of your king, being able to bring that truth that wisdom will be bared out and lives can be altered. It isn't to defend you. It is to defend your savior and to see these come to know him as savior. And all of God's people said, hear me, man. This is a very complex little passage that actually sets up the next run that we're gonna be in next week, okay? And it is all about making sure that we grasp this. We need to be about transformation, metamorphosis. God, come change my soul. I get real with you and you change me. I worship you and you do a work in me. And God help me with a measured love into this world to come and bring the truth of who you are in the right time, in the right way, the truth of who you are so that you might get all the glory. May God be shown off. That's what it looks like, man. Scripture, I am ready Lord to need you and for you to change me. And Lord, when you so call me to stand up, I will measured, but with boldness, take a stand for my King. That's what it looks like to live humbly and honestly in this world. And all of God's people said,